This morning we're beginning a new sermon series called Stranger Things, where we're going to be looking at passages in the Bible where God uses strangers to teach us a lesson. You know, in this world that we live in, we teach our children not to talk to strangers. We try to protect ourselves from strangers. In fact, we often think of strangers as people who are different than us, and they often represent people who are are dangerous in some way. But that's not how God uses strangers within Holy Scripture. And so we'll be looking at many different ways throughout Scripture that God uses strangers, puts strangers in our lives to call us, to sometimes provide us with opportunities, and sometimes to encourage us to live as God has called us to live. This morning we'll be beginning with uh, uh, the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. Before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Genesis chapter 18, beginning with the first verse. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. And so they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, They are in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of a woman. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? But the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, Oh, yes, you did. Oh, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My grandfather was known for having a great sense of humor. 
In fact, as children, when my brother and I would go down and visit him, it was often like we were going to visit a favorite cartoon character or comedian. He always had lots of jokes and little tricks that he would teach us, many of which my parents did not want us to repeat after we got back home. I think I've told you about some of these before. We would sit down beside him, and he would pinch the top of our knees, and and it would make us jump. It would kind of be ticklish, and he would call that a horsey bite. Or sometimes he would pinch underneath the bottom of our legs, and it would hurt a little bit, and we would jump up out of our seats, and he would call that ants in your pants. That's what he called that. I think I told you one time about the little game he would play called Be Brave, where we would hold our arms straight up in the air, and he would move his finger slowly towards our ticklish armpit and say, Now be brave. And we would hold it up as long as we could until we would start laughing. He had lots of different stories as well. Stories from times he spent in the war. Stories from being a fisherman with uh, his friends out in the Atlantic Ocean. And all of those stories often, many of them, were funny stories. Stories, again, that I probably can't repeat from the pulpit. But he had many stories, too, and running jokes that he would often share with my brother and I. One of his favorites was... Maybe you heard this in your house too. Every time my brother and I would come and visit him, he would always say, you guys need a haircut. He did that very often as a military man. He kept his hair very tight, very neat, very short. And so when we would come, even if we had just gotten a haircut before we got there, he would always say, you guys need a haircut. It's time for a haircut. And of course, we would protest. He finally got to the point where he would say, you know what, the next time you come down, I'm just going to take you to my barber over in Blackshear. He will shave your head in less than a minute and charge you a buck twenty-five. It's the greatest deal in the world. He even said, and if you don't want to shave your entire head, he'll just put a bowl on the top of your head and cut around the outside so you have a bowl cut, and he'll even let you keep the bowl. That was the running joke. Of course, we protested. We never wanted to go to my, my grandfather's barber. After all, that sounded terrible to us. But his barber sort of became this mythical figure, this mythical joke that we always talked about every time we would see him. But we never got to meet that barber before he died. In fact, he died uh, long before we ever got the chance to even travel and visit other parts of of Georgia like Blackshear and, and meet people like that. He died, and it was a heartbreaking thing for us because many of those funny jokes, many of those running family inside jokes died with him, and it was hurtful to us. But I still every now and then remember that sense of humor. I like to think I got a little bit of that sense of humor from him. And I like to think, when I think about people like my grandfather, that that God has a sense of humor too. That God gave us the gift of laughter, that God gave us a sense of humor to use as a way of coping sometimes with this world that we live in, as a way of appreciating each other and appreciating this world around us. And in fact, there are times throughout Scripture where God talks about laughter. There's some 40-odd times in Scripture where, where God talks about laughter in one way or another. Most of those times are, are opportunities where God actually laughs at us. That's the way it's used most of the time. Laughing at us for the plans that we make in our world. Laughing at us for the things that we think and and don't understand the way God is working. But every now and then, there are passages of Scripture where people laugh at God. And that's what happens in our story from Genesis this morning. This famous story where Sarah laughs at these three strangers. 
The story, as you know, begins long before this. Abraham and Sarah are the, the chosen people of God. In many ways, they're kind of plucked from obscurity. We think of them as, as nomads in some sense, wandering around the hills as, as best they can, trying to find places to, to graze their sheep and graze their goats. And, and all of a sudden, one day, God reaches out to Abraham and says, you're my chosen person, and from you, all of these great nations will come. Amazing thing, since Abraham really was a nobody himself. What a miracle this would be. I'm sure they were celebrating the fact that Abraham and Sarah would now have this incredible gift of all these progeny and that all the nations of the world would descend from them. They must have thought that at first. But as time went by, as days went by, and days turned into months and months turned into years, maybe they started to realize that maybe this promise wasn't going to happen. Maybe it sort of became like a a running joke in the family. They started to think that maybe this promise that God had given to Abraham really was never, ever, ever going to come true. In fact, just a couple of chapters earlier, before the one that we just read, there's a story where God reaches back out to Abraham and tells Abraham once again, you're going to be my chosen person, and all of the people are going to come through you. You'll be the father of many nations. And Abraham laughs. Abraham falls over on his face, laughing just one chapter earlier. But in this chapter, it's Sarah's turn. Abraham is sitting out, out from the tent, out in front of his tent, and he looks out and sees three strangers standing out under a, a, a tree. And he decides for some reason to show them hospitality. He's not scared of strangers, maybe like we are today. He reaches out to them and invites them to come in, invites them to have food, wants to wash their feet. And when they finally agree, he runs into the tent where Sarah is, is hiding by herself. And, and he asks her to, to help him make a meal so that he could show hospitality to these strangers. These strangers, even though they don't seem to, to recognize, uh, Abraham and Sarah don't seem to recognize them, these strangers know who they are. And they ask about Sarah. Where is Sarah? Where is your wife? And Abraham says, oh, she's in the tent. And they say, well, we'll be back. We'll be back because God's going to keep that promise. God's going to keep that promise and she's going to have a child. And what does Sarah do? She laughs. She laughs at this promise that she has heard countless times before, but it's never, ever, ever come true. She laughs, but there's a part of her, I think, that that laugh was born out of a broken heart. A broken heart who had been waiting for so long for a promise to come true, and it never, ever, ever did. I dare say that Sarah had not laughed in a long, long time. Because Sarah's heart was broken. Sarah maybe wanted to be a mom. Sarah had heard this promise before, but it never, ever happened. And so she finally gave up. And that's what happens to us when our hearts are broken too. When our hearts are broken and our hearts are worried and the world just doesn't work out the way we want it to, we start to give up and feel despair. And I dare say that's what Sarah did. We start to put up walls around us to protect our broken hearts so that our hearts won't be broken again. And I think of Sarah that way. This woman who had for years given up on a promise. 
a promise that God had promised her a long, long time ago, and so she put up walls around her so that she wouldn't be broken again. There's actually a children's story about building walls. It's written by a woman named Gloria J. Evans. I want to read a little bit of it to you because it reminds me of Sarah. She says, I don't know when I first began to build the wall, and I don't know exactly why I started to build it. I'd been hurt before in friendships. I trusted people and got burned. I just didn't want to put up with it anymore. And so one day I started to build the wall. At first the wall was only knee high. I thought it looked rather nice. The wall was small at first and some people didn't notice or they just stepped over it and came on in anyway. I didn't like it when they did that. Didn't they know what a wall was for? So I built the wall higher. And as I continued to build, I felt good about what I was doing. As time passed, less and less people came by. And even when they did, I could barely see the tops of their heads. They weren't interested in me anymore. I didn't need them anyway. Then one day I realized the wall was so high that I no longer saw anyone. I didn't even hear anyone. Everything was so quiet. This went on for days and I stopped building the wall and I yelled out, Is anyone there? And there was no answer. It was dark inside the wall. And I never noticed until now how dark it was. And now the stones I so carefully placed just stared back at me with their cold darkness. And for the first time, I felt like I was truly alone. I think that's what our pain feels like when we have been disappointed again and again and again. We've met people out in the world and we try to give them that friendly smile, but they just bear their fangs back at us. When that despair and that darkness of our disappointment in this world or maybe our disappointment in God's unanswered prayers fall upon us, we build up those walls to protect us. I think that's what Sarah did, and I certainly see people doing that all over the world today, trying to keep other people out because we're afraid of each other. But then one day, God sends three strangers to visit Sarah. And they give Sarah a very special gift. They not only remind her of that promise that God had promised her many years ago, but they give her another gift. They make her laugh. They make her laugh right there in the midst of her despair, in the midst of her suffering, in the midst of that darkness and pain. They make her laugh. And they point it out to her. You heard it. They said, Sarah, we heard you laugh. And she said, no, 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 I didn't laugh. And they said, oh, yes, you did. We heard you laugh. Even now, after all you've been through, you're still laughing. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that laugh was born, like I said, out of a lot of pain. If it was a gleeful, joyful laugh, it was a gleeful, joyful laugh at the absurdity of what they said. It was a laugh born out of many, many years of tears and crying, of pain, of, of prayers not answered. It's a laugh that comes when people come to you and say, after you've prayed a thousand prayers, hey, maybe you ought to try praying. And you laugh at them. Or someone comes up to you and says, oh, you're so courageous with all that you've put up with and all you can think is, I don't want to be the courageous one anymore. Or someone puts one more thing on your shoulders and all they, you can think of is, don't they know all that I'm carrying already? And what do you do? Well, 
You either laugh or you cry. And so in this moment, she chose to laugh. She chose to laugh at the absurdity of what she had heard. But I dare say that, at least in my mind, that laughter was not a, a, an act of craziness or an act of, of lunacy. For me, it was an act of defiance. Defying the darkness that she had felt for so long. Defying the darkness that she had experienced for so many years. Defying the pain and the suffering of unanswered prayers. She laughed. And those strangers pointed out to her, you're still there. You still have something burning inside you. You still are laughing, even though the world doesn't make sense. Poking a little hole in that wall that she had built. I think about the world around us and the people who have suffered far more than I have, and the ones who inspire me the most are the ones who find a way to keep that flame burning within them. That spark that makes us laugh even though the world seems absurd. That spark that gives us a chance to smile even when people are baring their teeth at us. I think about people who have been through so much and yet somehow their spirit isn't quenched. This past week I was reading some information, some books by Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist. And one of the things he talked about in one of his stories were the great spirituals that were sung on, on plantations by slaves. And he talked about these wonderful spirituals of people who at night after their work was done, they would get together and they would sing and they would continue to dance and they would even laugh. And he said, you could hear it in those songs, those songs about going up to Canaan land. In spite of all they were experiencing around them, about, in spite of all the pain and the suffering and the despair, they still believed they were going to be free. And those slave owners tried to stop those gatherings so they couldn't dance, so they couldn't sing, but they sang all the more. Because in spite of the darkness of the world around them, that fire within them could not be quenched. They laughed, even though it didn't make any sense. They laughed in defiance of the despair of the world. I think as Christians, that's something that we are called to do, to give each other the gift of smiles and laughter when the world is so full of despair. To stand up and continue to fight the darkness of the world with kindness and gentleness and love. Mother Teresa said something similar about her own ministry. Some, a, a, a columnist asked her one time when he went to, to uh, visit her in Calcutta, asked her the question of, what do you think people in the Western world should do in order to try to live as better Christians? Just looking for a little tagline on the end of his column. And she said, and to his surprise, he thought she was going to say something like, sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, move to places like this where you can help. But to his surprise, she said, smile. Smile at the people you live with. Smile at the people you work with. Smile each and every day at the people around you. That columnist kind of looked at her funny and said, well, you know, there's a lot of tough people in the Western world. It's kind of hard to smile at all those people. <laughs> and she replied, well, I work with Jesus every day. Sometimes he's tough to live with too. <laughs> But our faith calls us in spite of the fact that our prayers are not always answered, in spite of the fact that the world doesn't always make sense, 
to keep that flame alive, to keep smiling, to keep laughing, to keep encouraging each other in spite of the fact that the world doesn't always make sense because it's that laughter that pokes holes in the darkness. It's that laughter that keeps us from falling into despair. It's that laughter that reminds us that we haven't died. That flame still lives within us, and we are still alive inside. And that's enough to help us carry on when the world seems to be ready to fall apart. You know, when my grandfather died, I was really worried about my grandmother carrying on. Her whole life was wrapped up in his life, and so when, she, when he passed away, I was really worried that she would pass away soon after. We had gathered together for the funeral, and all kinds of people came to that funeral, you know, came to give her, pay respects, and, and tell her what a wonderful man her husband was, but she just politely nodded like you might think she would. Lots of people came from all over, but there was one man there that none of us recognized, a stranger that came to the funeral None of us recognized, not even my grandmother. We paused and thought, well, I wonder, maybe he's come to the wrong funeral. Maybe he meant to go to a different funeral home. Finally, my aunt went up to this stranger and asked him, we don't know you, how did you know my daddy? And he replied, I was his barber. And we laughed out loud. We laughed we chuckled and laughed and explained to him the joke and gave him a big hug, and I saw my grandmother laughing too. What a gift it was that this stranger gave to us in the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our despair, that even then, we could laugh. We could still celebrate and be thankful and joyful, even though the world didn't make sense. That's enough for all of us, isn't it? To find a way to carry on even when the world doesn't make sense. To find a way to poke holes in that wall by giving each other kindness and gentleness and laughter and smiles. That's the gift that those strangers gave to Sarah. And I dare say that's a gift we should give to strangers too. To the glory of God. Amen.